Today from the global lane, decoupling the United States from China. After years of enticement, a new approach. We're no longer engaging China and the U.S. will defend its allies. 19 years after 9-11, defund the police, officers quitting, lessons learned from first responders. Hope in the midst of crisis and a 9-11 survivor. I hear this incredible explosion. I see hundreds of bodies of people that jumped out of the buildings. And threats against a UK church for preaching. The Bible? And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Decoupling from China. President Trump wants the United States and other countries to consider it. So when you mention the word decouple, it's, uh, it's an interesting word. So we lose billions of dollars, and if we didn't do business with them, we wouldn't lose billions of dollars. It's called decoupling, so you'll start thinking about it. Some economists believe a complete decoupling between China and the U.S. would damage China more than it would the United States. China's economic growth could be reduced to 3.5% by 2030. And it may fall to as low as 1.6% if American allies join in. Well, here to share his thoughts on this is China expert, author Gordon Chang. Mr. Chang's latest book is The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Gordon, it's good to have you with us again. So this whole idea of decoupling, I know an economist at the London School of Economics says it's almost impossible because the U.S. and Chinese economies are so intertwined. Your thoughts, can it be done, should it be done? Well, it certainly can be done. And there was a time when the U.S. and China didn't have any economic relations, no trade, no investment, no technical cooperation agreements. Now we do, um, but what can be done can be undone. But we also have to do it because China's regime is uh, viciously attacking the United States. They are using the proceeds of trade to configure their military to kill Americans. Um, this is something that we should not be doing. Um, we've got something that China absolutely can never get anyplace else. And that's the world's largest consumer market. So we can do this. We must do this. Made in America, maybe. <laughs> the People's Liberation Army has acted aggressively along the border with India, also against his neighbors, as you know, and we've talked about this, the South China Sea. We're seeing a naval and air force buildup, new missiles, new planes. How great, Gordon, is the China military threat to the USA and what should be done about it? Well, it is a great military threat to the USA because China is developing weapons that are specifically targeting um, American aircraft carriers and others. China talks about closing off the global commons, uh, international water and airspace, and it threatens our allies, such as Japan and the Philippines. Uh, as you point out, um, China's officers, they have a bloodlust. They killed 20 Indian soldiers on the night of June 15th in a premeditated act. They killed another Indian soldier last week. Um, this is extremely dangerous, not just for the countries around China's periphery, but for the U.S. as well. Boy, that takes us back to 1962 when India and China had a war over their border, same area, I believe. Now, some geopolitical analysts say war with China may be coming for the U.S. if Trump is reelected. Trump says Biden, if he's elected, China will own the USA. So politics aside, Gordon, what are the facts in this? Well, the facts are that uh before Trump, we had a policy of engaging China to try to entice China to become a part of the liberal international system. It didn't work. What we did do, though, is um, we emboldened the worst elements in the Chinese political system by showing aggression worked. 
because whenever the Chinese engaged in aggressive acts, there were no costs imposed on them, and they were allowed to keep the prize of aggression. So that really created a very dangerous dynamic in Beijing. President Trump has made it very clear that those days are over. We're no longer engaging China, and the U.S. will defend its allies. And I think that that makes the world a lot safer. This is no doubt going to be a very tension-filled period because the Chinese think that they can push the United States around. And at some point, as we're seeing, the administration is saying no. So there is going to be danger, but this is inevitable after five decades of bad policy. Well, I know that uh, Attorney General William Barr and also the president himself have said that China uh, does not want to see uh, President Trump get reelected, and they're going to take measures, uh, especially, and you and I have talked about this on social media, to uh, persuade Americans not to reelect him. We have seen um, China in the middle of March propagate rumors it knew were false that President Trump was going to invoke the Stafford Act and lock down the entire United States. China um, surreptitiously sent those rumors around or fueled them um, through text messages and social media postings. Also, the Spamouflage Dragon Network, um, which was anti-Trump, um, was very active until it was taken down by um, Facebook and Twitter and other social media sites. So clearly, China wants to vote in the November 3 election. Yeah, they've liked Biden all along. Finally, I've got to ask you about this concept that you've mentioned. Uh, that President Xi believes that China has a mandate from heaven to control the world. I've wondered how he could believe that when he's a communist, atheist, who doesn't believe in God. It just seems like a justification, Gordon, for communist world domination. Please explain the mandate from heaven. You know, the mandate of heaven is from China's imperial past, um, where Chinese emperors believed that they not only had the right, but they were compelled by heaven to rule the world. And there's this notion of Tianxia, or all under heaven. Xi Jinping, in his public pronouncements for more than a decade, has been promoting these mandate of heaven themes. Recently, he's become explicit about it. And Chinese officials under Xi Jinping have been very clear about where they're directing um, their thoughts. Um, China employs dozens of scholars to study the application of Tianxia to the world. I know this is ludicrous, um, but the point is not whether it's silly or not. This is what Chinese leaders actually believe, and we ignore what they are saying at our peril. Thank you so much, Gordon Chang, for being with us and sharing your insights. Thank you, Gary. On the home front, 19 years have passed since tragedy struck on 9-11-2001. The Twin Towers, the Pentagon, Somerset, Pennsylvania. Successive acts of terror at those three locations certainly changed the United States and the world. Who would have thought that back then, that nearly two decades later, American troops would still be in Afghanistan? Or that first responders, those we looked to for help on 9-11, firemen and police, would be disrespected and disparaged? Well, joining us to share some thoughts is 31-year law enforcement veteran, retired police Sergeant Mike McGrew. Sergeant McGrew is co-founder of 9-11 at Ease International. So, Sergeant McGrew, good to see you again. Sixty police officers died on that tragic day, 9-11. They were from New Jersey, the Port Authority, and NYPD. And at that time, we kind of regarded them and the 343 firefighters who perished at the Twin Towers as American heroes. So fast forward, 2020. Now we have the defund movement, disrespect for police. 
So far, at least 188 line of duty deaths. Why the change since 9-11-2001? I think uh, we're in a very difficult time right now, and I don't think that anybody really saw this coming. Um, you know, it's a time where the first responders that are doing a difficult job are uh, even pressed even further. They're getting stretched very thin right now. They're still out doing uh, amazing work for 31 years uh, as a law enforcement officer. I, I retired as a sergeant out in uh, California. And I was able to work with the most courageous and, and just amazing people of character throughout my career. And I saw them do heroic acts. And 9-11 is just a reminder of the heroic acts that our first responders continue to do today. They're still willing to do exactly what they did on that day to go in and put themselves in harm's way and possibly lose their life. Many of us have heard testimonies from police officers who say they're quitting. They don't want their sons or daughters to even consider becoming a member of the police force. And that's coming from families who have served for generations. So what are you hearing from officers and have you ever seen morale this bad? I have not. This is about the worst I've ever seen it. I was, uh, I came in 35 years ago when the senior officers were Vietnam veterans who I think paid the price in post-traumatic stress injuries. And, and uh, there was a culture then that um, the job was difficult. We were getting a paycheck, but go out and suck it up. And so we did. And and uh, being a police officer has been something that, you know, there, there's always 10 percent, I think, of the population who would just come right out and say, hey, we don't like you because you're a police officer. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices. You're hearing uh, you're seeing on the media some pretty negative things that are happening. But people need to remember that the folks that are doing this job are are uh, continuing to do amazing work out there. There's tens of thousands of acts, heroic acts that happen every day that aren't covered in the media. And this job is a calling. Uh, you, you don't get into this job because you think you're gonna uh, get rich or or um, or be well off. It's, it's a job that uh, requires somebody who has a servant's heart. And uh, that's, that's who we're looking for when we recruit a police officer, somebody who has integrity, somebody who is willing to go out and uh, do the tough things that nobody else is willing to do. So then do you think we'll see a backlash against all of this that's happening, this defund police movement, and will police regain that respect that most deserve? What happens now? What needs to happen? Well, this is a time where uh, communication is very important. And when people talk about defunding police departments, uh, I don't think they really understand what they're saying because the very programs that help law enforcement bridge the gap with their communities are things such as uh, beat coordinators, um, school resource officers, um, public relation officers, um, public information officers. Those are the people that are helping to, um, to, to carry on a conversation that says, hey, this is why we have to do certain things in certain situations. And, and it develops a trust and there's a partnership that happens. And um, to defund a department, those are the things that would be removed first because people have to go out and answer 911 calls. They have to answer emergency calls for services. And uh, if you don't have enough officers, then the programs that are vital um, are going to be removed. And, and I think people are going to start to see that. They're going to see the effects of what it means to not have a fully staffed uh, police department. 
hopefully uh, before that happens uh, nationwide, people will, will be able to recognize, no, there is a need. Uh, and we do need to work with our law enforcement. And they are uh, a profession that um, just has a lot of people of just incredible integrity doing the job. Okay, putting their lives on the line every day, Sergeant Mike McGrew, co-founder of 911 at Ease International. Thank you for your time and insights, Mike. Thank you. The COVID-19 pandemic, Hurricane Laura, California wildfires, big cities under siege. At times, does it seem like it's all a little too much? Well, young American adults are finding it harder to cope. 25.5% say they've considered committing suicide this year. But there is hope for a hurting world. We all could use a little encouragement right now. Our next guest says he has just what the doctor ordered, or should I say the great physician. John Humphrey is vice president of I Am Second, and he's here to tell us about the new film, I Survived. John, thanks for being here to share about this film. So, you know the old saying, and I thought I had it bad. This is an encouraging film about five overcomers. Tell us about the common thread here, the theme. Sure, Gary. We, uh, we have had relationships with five of individuals. They're one of 150 short films that we've produced over the last 12 years. And these five uh, have impressed us about their ability to overcome traumatic and sometimes you know, uh, very devastating uh, experiences in their life, um, really death-defying in some instances. And so when we examined their stories, we said, gosh, there's a common thread here, and we'd like to go ahead and to uh, tell this uh, the story this way, especially at this time, because they really are inspirational when they recount their stories and how their faith really pulled them through. I know uh, Beth Hamilton, that, that's an amazing story about how she survived the uh, shark. And, and we're coming up on the 19th anniversary of 9-11. One of the stories is about Sujo John. I, I've got to tell you, John, that's simply amazing. He, he's an immigrant from Calcutta. He survived the Twin Towers attack. Tell us about his story. Well, Sujo is an inspirational story, and he vividly goes ahead and details what he was experiencing on that day when he was in one of the Twin Towers, and he lived uh, to, to tell about it, uh, and really recounts about how his, his wife was also supposed to be in one of those Twin Towers. And they have a reunion, and it's a sweet reunion. But in that moment, uh, he both he, he realizes that both of them can't be the same as they go forward. And he, uh, he really sees a different purpose in his life after that experience. He knows that God brought him through that experience, and then he has a, a vision for what God can do through him going forward. And, John, we want to show just a small clip right now of Sujo John, the immigrant from India who chased success. September 11, 2001, rolls in. It's 8.40 in the morning, and I'm standing by this fax machine trying to send some documents out to one of our offices in Philadelphia. But I hear this incredible explosion. I see hundreds of bodies of people that jumped out of the buildings. I'm trying to reach my wife. My wife worked on the other tower, but cell phones just wouldn't work. That night, me and my wife, before we tried to get any sleep, we knelt down by a bed. I said, God, here's a surrendered life. Would you rewrite the story of my life? 
So, John, I guess when you're near death or facing trouble, tragedy, uh, you really come to realize what's important in life, don't you? What do you want people to learn from this film? What's the takeaway? Absolutely. You know, it, it takes some with many people, it takes that type of experience to really change their perspective. But we're all going through that now. Our lives have been uprooted. In many cases, we're, we're dealing with loss and grief. It could be loss of a loved one. It could be a loss of a job. Uh, but so many things are different today than they were eight months ago. And so all of us struggle with, are we going to make it through? How am I going to make it through? And as you noted, uh, there's a great increase of anxiety and depression, mental, uh, mental illness, and even suicides that are happening. And really the message from our film here is that you can survive this. And these five individuals share their personal experience of how their faith and how moments of faith at that at that extreme situation really brought them through and how they've been able to go ahead and to adapt since then and make their life count. John, what inspired you the most in all of this? Really, uh, it's that second part. It's seeing that how all five of them um, have made a change in their direction in their life and no longer are they living just for themselves, but each of them are doing things for the betterment of others. And to me, that just speaks volumes of what Christ can do in your life when he changes your heart, he brings you through a personal experience like that, gives you a vision of what he can do through you and gives you the energy and the resources to carry it out. Okay, so how can people view the film, I Survived? Sure, it's available throughout the, the various platforms that I Am Second has, and that starts first with our website, IamSecond.com, or you can go and find it in social media on YouTube or on Facebook and even Instagram TV, but it's everywhere that I Am Second can be found, so just keep looking up I Am Second. Good work there, some compelling stories of survival and faith. John Humphrey of I Am Second, Thank you for sharing about the new film, I Survived. Thank you, Gary. A summer wave of vandalism and arson attacks against churches, mostly Catholic ones, have subsided, at least for now. Officials are still trying to determine the motivation behind most of those attacks. Churches, especially in California, are still fighting court battles over COVID-19 shutdown restrictions. And overseas, more anti-church action in the United Kingdom, this time against a new Kwai Baptist church in Devon and Cornwall, England. Police there have warned Pastor Josh Williamson that he could be breaking the law if he continues to offend the LGBTQ community. Well, last month, when COVID-19 restrictions caused local gays to cancel their annual Pride event, the pastor wrote on social media, quote, wonderful news. When asked to explain the reason for his joyful response, the pastor said, because I don't think sin should be celebrated. Williamson's remarks were deemed offensive and online threats ensued against the pastor's wife. According to Christian Concern, someone photoshopped the pastor's head onto an image of homosexual pornography and shared that online. While LGBTQ sympathizers warned they would petition to have the church's charity status revoked and the 34-year-old Australian pastor deported.
A transgender invited Williamson to a meeting to discuss his views. The pastor said his church is open to all members of the LGBT community. And with permission, he reportedly shared a leaflet detailing a biblical view of homosexuality. Well, as expected, the reaction was not well received by the LGBTQ community. Some said the pastor was widely distributing anti-gay pamphlets throughout the city, a charge the pastor denied. Well, afterwards, people took to Facebook. Some threatened to burn down the church. The name of this sender was blackened out, but it reads, let's burn a church. And babe, would you be mad if I burnt down a church? Don't you wonder why Facebook censures conservative speech, but not violent leftist threats like these? Well, I know what some of you are saying. What about the pastor's free speech rights, the right to freedom of religion? Guess what? It's not guaranteed in the UK like it is in the US Constitution. So if the police or town council deem Williamson's tweets as offensive hate speech, the pastor could go to jail and the church could be shut down. I can't help but wonder, is this a harbinger of things to come? Is America next? Already California church services and home Bible groups are restricted, yet government gyms are open for state and local government workers and hair salons for the Speaker of the House to utilize. Government workers can lift weights at exclusive California gyms, but they can't collectively lift up the name of Jesus in praise. Folks, I've seen persecution firsthand. I've reported about it around the world, and I believe it's coming against the American church. As secularism, atheist Marxism, and anarchy spread, so too will attacks against Christians and the church. That's because most Christians stand for democracy and believe in natural rights given to us by God, not government. The Apostle Paul warned us about the offense of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Folks, it's time that we view this for what it really is, a spiritual battle. Yes, we need to remind governments of our God-given rights and stand up for those rights in court. But let's remember, our battle will not be won in the streets, but by changed hearts. And that change can only begin on our knees in prayer. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Parler, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.